0: Wednesday night. It's an exciting time to be in the house of the Lord. I enjoy to always be able to hear a good worship song, and our praise team is one of the best. Amen. Yes, they deserve that. So to jump right in, I will just start by saying this year has been kind of challenging for uh, for many of us, I would say, probably for a lot of us. But I would also say it's been rather challenging for me and my family. Um, Due to many things that are just kind of out of our control, out of our our personal ability to handle things. But, you know, God is good. I know at the end of the year, I'm going to see, I'm going to look back, and I'm going to say, God did that. God was in control. I can look back and say that. I I believe that. Amen? So, when we... Think about this year. When I was thinking about this message and God was, I was in times of prayer, God left me with a really distinct question. And I pose that question to you this evening and I ask you, is what are you filling your time with? So please think that through. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to just consider that question. It's kind of a loaded question, really, but go ahead and think about it. What are you? Filling your time with? What would be on that log if I asked you this evening to bring a record of everything you did this week, this month, and this year that filled your time? So when I asked you that, something just instantly comes to your mind, I imagine. Many of us, maybe who worked today, there was instantly something that just popped into your mind of what you did. And now I've lost you for the remainder of the service. So. Just try to focus. But I know that can happen so easily. And the first time that me and my wife, we, we started to really dial in our monthly budget, I was surprised how many things go unnoticed when we don't actually log them meaningfully. Now, I am advocating for that you consider the time you have been given. And make a robust account of that time through just Consideration and contemplation. Consider your time and give an estimated estimate of what takes up most of your time. Each of us are given 365 days, 52 weeks, seven days, 24 hours, 60 minutes, and 60 seconds in a year. What are you filling your time with? Time is fleeting. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. It's cliche, but it's true. You might wake up in the morning, or you might not. Still cliche, but true. Now, I could quickly die of some catastrophic event right before your eyes, before I'm even done preaching tonight. Now, that's not necessarily cliche, and it would be rather shocking and maybe even possibly horrifying for you all at the same time. But seriously, why would we play around with the time that we are given? After all, time is the only thing that cannot be remade. So many things separate humanity. Things like economic status, how much money you make or earn in a year, uh, the children you have or the children you don't have, political positions that you take, the career fields that you are in, the sicknesses that you endure, And the positions that you hold. Now these are just to mention some things that separate us as humanity. And there are some things I didn't mention that would even separate us further. But how can we find common ground when we are schisms and far from unified? It is because there is one thing that is the greatest unifier. And we all have it in common whether saved, unsaved, out in the world, in the church, we all have this one thing in common. You and I have something at its base, humanity's greatest unifying act. And it is this, time, once spent, cannot be regained. Our time will come and it will go. Our relationships, they will start and they will end. That beloved pet that you have, Will one day go on to its rest. Amen. Some of you got that, sorry. The loved one will one day go on to their eternal reward. And the truth is, time is fleeting. And the question that I pose is, what are you filling your time with? I open tonight with Hebrews 4, and it says, The promise of entering into his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter into his rest. And as far as for others, God said, In my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter into the place of my rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know that it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. And it says, On the seventh day, God rested from all his work but in the other passage, God said they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering His rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. He said, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And now if Joshua has succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we fail. The book of Hebrews is a letter that addresses those in a situation of great persecution and is an appeal not to give up. You see, the people hearing or reading this letter are running out of time. A decision has to be made. The individuals listening to these words from this letter knew that time was running out. They were aware that this was happening. But I think that they were forced into a decision that was rather difficult for them to know how to handle it. And so the big question that takes away from this, that maybe they asked, is it a big deal if I stand for Jesus? I mean, is it all that important if I stand when standing is the only thing left to do? These people did not have to decide whether to enter into baptism or get filled with the Holy Ghost. These people had been living for God and now are being forced into a decision of faith. And it says, will I continue to live for God even though my back is against the wall in my journey of serving Jesus? So they are being asked, Will I listen to spoken words? Will I ignore those words? Will I harden my heart? Will I disobey God? So who were in the people being addressed in this? Well, in that second verse of Hebrews 4, 2, it says, Show us who this letter is addressed to. It says, For this good news that God has prepared his rest has been announced to us. Now, these people are the Jewish Christians. And now us in this room. Say that with me. Say us. us. So that's us listening. Either Whether you're online, on a podcast later, or you're on YouTube, or even those that are in this room currently listening to what I'm saying. That's us. But just as it was to them, so when it says just as it was to them, this is a reference to them here is talking about the people of Moses' day. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listen to God. and We're looking into a time frame in which the newly named Christians were under heavy persecution and imprisonment for believing in a man named Jesus and walking in a faith contrary to what the nation was teaching. And so some Jewish Christians had begun to turn from what they initially believed due to the trials of faith. And hardships for believing and proclaiming the good news and the deliverer of that good news, Jesus. So hearing about this account makes me grateful. Personally, I will be honest. It makes me grateful to live in a nation where I'm not persecuted for my faith, where I have the ability to share my faith, to believe my faith without the governments trying to interfere. But I am afraid there is a time that will come when that's not going to be the case. There is a a brewing storm if we look out past our window and we will see that the nation we currently live in has begun to put things in place that will one day possibly be a hindrance to our faith if we're not careful. And so I digress and I say that I believe that one day we will, we will have that challenge and we will not be afforded the luxury we have currently, but I believe with God all things are possible, so I don't care if that's going to be the case. I'm just going to go ahead and praise God anyways, and I'm going to give him the glory because he's worthy of it. And that's the challenge that we face as Christians. So up to this point, the government has seen the Christian faith as as a threat to their belief system, but only really persecuted key leaders and voices on the streets proclaiming the gospel message. And there were many times in which Peter and Paul and the other disciples of Jesus, they found themselves in varying types of punishment circumstances. Even leading up to Stephen being the first martyr for Christ. And these believers addressed in the book of Hebrews lived in a nation under siege. Israel was being put under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But there was something worse coming and it had In some areas already begun. And you see there was an emperor by the name of Nero being brought to power. And we're reading about a people being persecuted and struggling with that in a way similar to their ancestors once delivered from Egypt. Now we're brought into a glimpse of the church's leadership trying trying to appeal and to remain steadfast. And they say in Hebrews 10.32, they say, think back. On those early days, when you first learned about Christ, remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? And so what's the writer saying? The writer is saying to the Jewish Christians to remain in the faith despite enduring hardships and trials. And what is going to soon be approaching on the horizon for them as a movement. And they were challenged to understand that time was fleeting and that if they were to make a stand and to find the rest that Jesus is talking about here and he had died on for the cross, then it would cost them something. Would they be willing to pay the price of entrance? You see, that's the question that really the church is being asked. Are you being faithful? Are you willing to pay that price, that full-fledged obedience to the word of God? The writer of Hebrews wanted the reader to know that for the faith to grow, it would endure hardships and trials. Now we get that to some degree, I think. But here lies the truest challenge of this text tonight. Not entering the rest set forth at the beginning of time is a danger. It's a real danger. And we can play patty cake with sin all that we want, but there is going to come a time in which we have to make a real decision and live for God. Right. Right. There has to come a moment, a, a, a crux moment in your life, a, a peak, a pinnacle, whatever you want to call it, but there has to come a moment when you say, I'm done with sin, I'm going to start living for God because I, all those other things are not worth it anymore. I want Jesus, and he's the only one that I want. He's the only one that's worth it, So I'm going to proclaim that. I'm going to say that. I'm going to get it in my spirit, right? Because this is what this letter is saying. It's saying that you have to make a decision to stand fast. You have to make a decision that says no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, I am going to serve God. I am going to do it with everything that I have. I'm going to find an altar. I am going to submit to the will that he has for me. And I'm going to serve him. Yeah, that's right. But there is nothing harder to watch than when an on-fire Christian comes into the church with flames all over him, And they're submitted to God. And they want God. And they're desiring God. And then it's as though a, a wet blanket gets put over. There's nothing sadder than to watch an on-fire Christian get doused out by the world, by the things of this world. God called you out of the world to have a relationship with Him. But all, if all you do is the one-foot shuffle where it is one foot out in the world and the other in the church then you are in danger of missing out on the rest that has been set for you. There needed to be a shift for the people of God. And I'm here to tell you, there are bears. And not the Chicago bears, because that wouldn't be scary. But there are bears and there are lions and there is an enemy outside your door who is roaring, who is looking to devour you. And he doesn't just come to steal, but he comes to kill and to destroy. He comes to take everything that you have away from you. That enemy that is roaring outside your door, he would do everything in his power to be able to get you not to have that rest. To be able to take you out of the rest that God has promised for you. And so we have to stay, stand fast. We have to be aware of what God is doing in this end time. Because all the enemy has to do is get you to doubt. All the enemy has to do is doubt the salvation you entered into. He, all he has to say is, is, are you sure you should be serving that leadership? Are you sure that you should be putting such a grand importance on the doctrine of the oneness? Are you sure that it's important to be baptized in Jesus' name and to be filled with the Holy Ghost? It's all the enemy has to do of your soul is to get there in your mind's eye and say to you, Did God really say? Did God say that? It's all that enemy has to do. And so this evening, I want to remind us as a church that the people who heard this message from Hebrews dealt with the same type of insecurities and doubts that we are dealing with today. If I tell you that the only thing that plagued their minds was a type of doubt that was simplistic and just do I serve God or do I not serve God, then honestly I think I'd be doing a grave injustice to what actually took place. You see, these people hearing this read aloud were not thinking of turning from God because It was inconvenient to drive to church on Wednesday or Sunday. They weren't turning from God because the music was too loud or the air wasn't right. You see, the difficulties that they were facing was things like, what happens when they take my child from my home and nail him to a cross for proclaiming the salvation of Jesus Christ? And then what happens when they come back for my other child? And demand them to recant their faith or else it is death for them. Or what happens when they they say to me, you're next. You're in danger of losing out on the rest that is to come. And if you don't make a real decision now as to what you will do. When that day gets here, then I'm afraid you will not make the right decision. You are in danger of not making that decision if you don't make it today. See, real Christianity, following Jesus, it's going to cost something. It does cost something. And for many of us, the truest cost of that relationship is time. And if I'm honest, it was time for them too. How much time will I get with my loved one? How much time will I get to be on this earth? But if God is the creator and he knows all things, which he does, he designed all things, then why is there so much pain that takes place? I mean, if God's will is always done and nothing can prevent that will from being carried out, why are we as his followers placed in circumstances beyond our ability to understand and to rationalize? And why do things like cancer and diabetes Alzheimer's, MS, arthritis, drugs, and addictions exist? If I'm honest, it's a valid question. And the answer is simple. It's because the root of suffering is sin. Sin is the greatest curse that the world has ever seen. Sin has the greatest wage ever, and it steals time, it steals property, families, patients, health, and life. And the enemy who's come to steal and to kill and to destroy is doing everything to get you into sin. And we have experienced the love of God, but what is going on to where God is saying to you tonight, you might not make it to the rest I've designed for you. Because there is a rest that God designed for us. That rest can be found way back in the beginning where God created everything that we know today as earth and humanity and animals and insects anything that we would define as reality and even the things that we don't know about that haven't come yet. There is a rest to come. A place that will be our final resting place. For some, that resting place will be heaven, the kingdom that God, that Jesus went to prepare for us. Praise God. I rejoice when every lost soul enters into a covenant relationship and has that opportunity to enter into that final rest. These baptism waters, they're clean. I made sure they are warm. Thank you for doing that, Brother Jacob. I think you might have been the one or maybe even my wife. I don't know. But thank you because I believe that God, if you want to get baptized tonight in that precious name and enter into that covenant relationship, there's an opportunity to do that. You can do that tonight. And so I also also rejoice whenever somebody speaks that heavenly language. When they are filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. And they begin to just allow themselves to be submitted unto God. Because that gift enters in. Because it's a gift. It's free. You can get it tonight if you want it. And I believe if you come for it, you will get it. But I tell you, there is a glory that washes over the individual who speaks. Blessed with that Spirit of God. And there's nothing like it. I still get emotional, and I hope all of us really do, when we see somebody filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. Amen. When they begin to speak in that language and they begin to dance before the throne room of God. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But the harshest of truths is that all, not, all will not see that rest. Some will endure the eternal death not designed for you and me. And that is the warning, if we disobey, we fail. And failure is not an option. Failure cannot be in our vocabulary when we're talking about entering into God's rest. It cannot be an option for us to not make it to that place. But living in sin is a direct disobedience to God and his Word. And when we live in direct disobedience to the word of God, then we are cut off from the rest that he designed for us, found in that beginning of time. Now, God creates everything, and in six days, he finishes all up with the final day being a day of rest. Now, I want to ask a question, and maybe, I don't know, I'm, maybe we don't know the answer to this, but did God really need to rest? <laughs> Thank you. Did God really need to rest? I don't imagine God had reached that day and said, okay, okay, that was a lot. I just need to sit down for a moment, rest, let all that kind of settle, and take my mind off that intense labor I just undertook. I mean, this is God that we are talking about. I don't think God had to rest, but I love the Word of God because God paints things for us to understand, so they become simple when we analyze them, when we talk about them, when we think about them. The Word of God contains so many hidden truths and powerful principles, and so this day of rest is is a symbolic but also practical thing. It gives us, as the people of God, time to think about God's power, the awe of God, and the wondrous works of God. That's why whenever you start to read psalms, you're going to see things from the psalmist that says, that always pointed to the works of God, and used the language interchangeably with fear of the Lord. The psalmist would say that, Fear was a deep reflection of God, and the trembling which an intentional approach to God. Now our Western culture will skew that word sometimes, fear. We're going to take it out of context instantly in our minds, and we'll apply it to our culture. We'll apply it to the understanding that we have of a word like fear, and apply it to whatever situation we think of when we personally become fearful. Now, fear is a, a real emotional response to danger, and it's it's honestly it's not something that you want to ignore. Truthfully, fear can save your life when you take it seriously. Now, I don't have a lot of personal fears. Personally, I don't. But I will tell you one fear, and then you'll be able to prank me the rest of my life about it. But my fear is spiders. I am telling you right now, I have walked out in the middle of the night, going to my car, and I'm walking, and then instantly I get hit with a cobweb. I don't know you, but I'm sitting there going like this, <laughs> trying to get that spider off. I don't want a spider on me. Because I, I'm telling you, I, I was driving to work one day, and this is a story, and it's not my notes, but I'm driving to work one day, and I'm sitting there. I'm just, I have about a 45-minute drive, and I feel this thing on my face. And I'm like, what do I do? Do I, like, literally pull over and try to get the spider off me? So I'm freaking out. I get to work, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The spider's gone. But that's not the fear that we're talking about when we're talking about God. That's not this jump out of my pants kind of fear, running from a spider type of fear. But the fear of the Lord is a healthy type of fear. It's a, I understand God is powerful. I understand that when I come into the presence of God, that he is the creator of the world. And so I'm going to come in with an awe. I'm going to come in with a reverence for who he is. But he loves us and he cares for us. So when we enter in, It's not that fear that says, I can't come. It's that fear that says, Come on in. I'm here for you. I'm going to make a way for you. Just bring me your needs. Bring me what you have, and I'll be your provider. That's the type of fear that we bring to God. Those things that have been resting on our minds and in our hearts. It's that understanding that God is a father. You see, I tell my kids to listen to stern warnings like, Don't use TikTok, don't use Instagram. Don't watch YouTube shorts. Don't run out in traffic when it's rush hour. And don't run with scissors. But I'll be honest, the warnings have changed over the years as they've gotten older. I mean, it would be kind of weird if Michael, I told him, don't run in the house with scissors. I mean, he's 16 years old. If I have to do that, then we'll probably have other problems on our hands. But, and I don't have to tell Gabe. Not to go out in the street and look both ways before he crosses the street. But it's really important to tell them the risks and challenges that they're going to face. And all these examples that we're talking about are warnings that they need to listen to as children or even as teenagers. Why? Well, because I know something that they don't know. And they need to take the time to consider And the writers of Hebrews is saying to us that there is something that you need to listen to. Imagine reverence as though it was someone in your life who had, you've always looked up to. Like a teacher, a parent, grandparent, somebody that's just a role model to you. What would we do if they said to us, you know, you're not going to make it if you don't. I think we would get on the edge of our seat a little bit our ears would perk up, our eyes might widen, and we would instantly want to hear that advice. We want to know, well, how am I not going to make it? What do I need to do to make it? And so that's what this writer is saying, that this word to this Jewish Christians and to us today says, listen, some of you are in danger of not entering that rest. And the rest only came from the ultimate sacrifice that came from Jesus. But if you want to enter it, you must obey the word that God gave you. Remain faithful to the gospel and have faith in what you have read and heard. I feel, personally, I feel so blessed to call Refuge Church my home. I feel so blessed to, to call you family. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know you, then you will become family because that's how we feel about the people who come to this place and worship God with us. We want to wrap our arms around you and say, it's going to be okay. Whatever you're going through, we know a God that's greater than the situation you're facing. And so I'm grateful to live in a community, to have a community that blesses me just by being around me and me being around them. It's just a a treasure to behold, a treasure to have, and and I'm just grateful for that. And it's a personal desire, though, for me that we all one day would walk those streets of gold together. And that we all would hear those words that we all desire to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, what a glorious day it's going to be when I hear my master say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I look forward to that day. And so I bring this word tonight, having God lay it on me in such a powerful way, needing to convey the importance of hearing the word of God and obeying that message he gave to us. But if we are not careful, there will be those amongst us who do not enter into that rest, who do not hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Hebrews 4, 2, it said it speaks about two Different, distinct types of faith. It says, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Two faiths. One that wavers and one that stands fast on the promises of God. I'm instantly reminded Of the account found in Numbers 13 of the spies who traveled into the promised land and they returned after having seen what that land had to offer. And the account of what should happen next after having seen that land. See, you have Caleb and you have Joshua who came back after having gone into the promised land and seen the same enemy that other spies had seen. And in Numbers 13.30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But then on the other hand, on the other side of this, is the faith that states, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger stronger. Then we, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come from the giants. And we were in our sights as grasshoppers, as so we were in their sight." You see, the faith of men who entered into the promised land, but grew fearful due to circumstances that seemed beyond them and impossible to overcome. And another time that faith was wavering was when Nicodemus came to Jesus, seeing a difference in who he was. You see, Nicodemus, deep within himself, identified the potential that Jesus could be the fulfillment of prophecy, Nicodemus knew that God had brought Jesus because of the miracles happening all around Jesus and by Jesus. Nicodemus did not know how these miracles were happening and what they meant, so he went by night to Jesus. Nicodemus going by night really is a key indicator that he was struggling with an internal dilemma that many of us here tonight or have in a time or two in our lives dealt with as well. You see, Nicodemus was dealing with a change to everything that he had ever been taught and to everything he had ever taught himself. And the truest challenge is often not what we have been taught, but what we have taught others. So imagine Nicodemus having taught the only way to God was to follow the laws of Moses. And now here's this guy named Jesus who was preaching something different to what you had taught all your life. You're an educated, well-prepared teacher of the word of God. And everything in your life gets flipped upside down instantly just by one encounter with God manifested in the flesh. And for anyone who has ever dealt with the deity of Jesus Christ and wondered if Jesus was God and not a triune God, this account should prove to us that even the Jewish people had to wrestle with who Jesus was. And in the end, it all comes down to one, and his name is Jesus. And in John 3.1 is the account of what Nicodemus went through. He says, now there was a Pharisee, a teacher of the word of God, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, he said, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that burning question that Nicodemus had was, how can someone be born again? Again, when they're old. And Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter into a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. And flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The rest is found in entering into that baptism water and having that name of Jesus called over your life. You must be born again. And there are those who are in danger of missing out on that rest that God has brought us, His sacrifice, and like Nicodemus, it comes from a deep internal struggle of the flesh and the spirit of the inner man. And it says something similar to this it says, I hear you speaking, Jesus, but I'm unsure if that makes sense. But if I have spoken to you tonight and given you the word that God has been dealing with me on, and you are still not sure if the baptism in Jesus' name makes sense for your personal salvation, then I must appeal to you with one final story from the Word of God. This was a parable that was given to a land in need of salvation and a way into the rest that God had for them, a parable that was spoken by Jesus. If you could just speak to the man Found in Luke 16, it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at this gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And that rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And while Lazarus received bad things... But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross us, he answered. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And his response was, No, Father Abraham. He said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Who will enter? Who will not enter the rest? A faith that existed but never actually manifested into what it could have been. And maybe the greatest warning and the one saddest sentence ever spoken in the Bible is that no man will enter the rest unless he believes and approaches God with fear and trembling. Now there's more to it than that, but it starts there. And that process starts with an invitation and then we are faced with a decision. And here it is. It is to identify the inability to do this thing on our own. And then to give over our control to Jesus and then repent and enter into that covenant with Jesus. And that can only happen if you are baptized in Jesus' name. There's no other way. You will not enter into the rest that our opening scripture describes unless you enter the covenant relationship Jesus has called us to. Jesus laid it out for Nicodemus. He said it would not happen unless you're born again. You have to be born again. So, if you hear all this and then choose to do nothing with it, you are in jeopardy of not being allowed to that final rest. If you have never entered into that water, I am telling you tonight is the night. Do it tonight. This water's clean. It's ready. Do it tonight. We can have a pastor up here quicker than you know it. And they can baptize you in that precious name of Jesus. And throughout our scriptures read tonight, we identified those two types of faith. A Caleb and a Joshua faith, a faith of naysayers and not quite ready believers. The faith of a Nicodemus who says, almost I believe, but there was too much pressure for me to change. So what faith are you filling your life with? I ask you, is your faith the one made up of I can't? Or I won't? Or is this impossible? Or is it the faith that says, if God said it, I believe it. If it's in the word of God, I believe it. There's nothing else that matters. If God spoke, I'm listening. That's the type of faith that I want to (laughs) have. You see, the can't mindset. There's a can't mindset. And that can't mindset says things to us. It's, it's It's a repetitive type of phrase. It says, I can't do that. I can't go there and witness to those people. I can't enter into that baptism of water. Because if I go into that baptism of water, somehow I'm giving up on something. Somehow I'm giving up on on my own ability or my own control or even my own family. There's a I can't get off of drugs and addictions because that's all I've ever known. There's a I can't mentality that says no matter the circumstances, it's just I'm not strong enough. I'm not eloquent enough to speak to somebody or stand before people and proclaim that name of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can adopt that, that mindset of I can't. It's super. It's easy to do. We can say, I can't speak to people. I can't do this. I can't do this. And it's just repetitive. And it keeps repeating in our minds if we're not careful. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there is a, there's an opposite side of that. There's an I can mentality. There's a, a mentality that says when I get God on my side, I can do it. In fact, I will, I will say tonight that there is a truth in the Word of God that says that's a, an unquantifiable variable. You see, when man gets by himself with an obstacle, that's where the I can't enters in. But the I can is God plus obstacle plus man equals I can. And that's the powerful truth of getting God on our sides and believing God for it. Now I'm closing. The musicians can come. And if you will, stand with me. This is hard to believe. Twenty one years ago, I was eighteen years old, and I was getting ready to go on a deployment to Iraq. And during that time of getting ready to go to this deployment in Iraq, we had to go through training to get ready to actually go there. And so that was about six months of training. And during this period of time, the, the training was always going to say something like, stay alert, stay alive. It was repetitive. It was like, you, sit, you went to lunch, stay alert, stay alive. You went to the bathroom, stay alert, stay alive. You went in shot line, stay alert, stay alive repetitive repetitive phrasing of stay alert stay alive and so this was drilled into our minds as the soldiers and we get overseas and you know you would think like the worst thing that happens outside of death and and injury you know things you can start thinking about what would be the worst thing when I'm over there and we were deployed for two years we got extended twice And so you'd think the first thing that was maybe the worst for a lot of us was getting that extension letter, getting told, hey, you're going to stay here another six months. But that wasn't the worst. And then there was a second time that they came to us and they said, hey, you're going to get extended a second time. And and in fact, that wasn't even the worst. What was the worst possible thing for us was the six-month period of us being remembering, saying, stay alert, stay alive. See, what made it the worst was the fact that at one point, we got comfortable in the enemy's land. You see, the, the moment that we got comfortable in the enemy's land, people started to get hurt. Up to that six months, nobody had been hurt, nobody had died. But the moment that we got comfortable in the enemy's land, people started getting hurt and started dying. And what I'm saying to you tonight, what what I'm trying to convey to you tonight is that don't get comfortable in the enemy's land. Don't get comfortable in this world. There's a rest that you need to enter into, and don't allow yourself to get to a place where you don't get there. Because if you're not careful, you can get complacent. And yes, it takes a lot of patience to stay in the fight. It takes a lot of patience to do this thing called life. And there's a lot of enemies that would do everything they can in their power to try to get you to turn against this thing you know is true. And so tonight, God is calling us to a place, to a place that we just remember that there is a war outside this house, that there is a battle being waged. Yes, some of us here tonight, we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I definitely hit that hard tonight, my points. But I am telling you also that for us as Christians, we have to get to a place where we say God is the only thing that's important to me. I know that if I am standing with God, that I can make it to that final resting place that he has for me. And so I invite you tonight to these altars. Come, let's pray. Let's, let's just give God our mind. Let's allow ourselves to hear from God in prayer. Jesus, I pray. Lord God. Lord, you are mighty. You are worthy, Jesus. Lord, I don't want to miss out on that rest that you have for me, Jesus. Lord God, I want to be mindful of the rest that you've
1: called me to, Jesus. Lord, that my mind be submitted to me.